The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. This morning, the remaining 12 missionaries held hostage in Haiti for the last two months are walking free. People seen embracing outside the missionary headquarters near Port-au-Prince as the news broke. God has answered our prayers. We're rejoicing and great load is lifted. Ron Marks, pastor of a congregation some of the hostages attended in Michigan, says he felt peace in finding they had been let go. They were treated relatively well. Life in Haiti is hard, even at its best. The names and locations of the hostages have not been released. U.S. officials saying they'll be reunited with loved ones soon. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That is great news, right? Good news coming out of Haiti. Good afternoon, everyone. The fruit of prayer. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I say. I believe we prayed the chapel to divine mercy for. I think Father Rocky was praying the rosary for him. I know many people around the world were praying for those people. All missionaries trying to do good. I was in Haiti a couple of years ago, and uh, it was it was really, gosh, I don't know the right words to describe it. It was um, it, it was humbling, and it was kind of hard to get my head around, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, we come from one of the most affluent nations in the world, right? The United States of America. And I've, I've been to South Africa. I've been to South America. I've been to Ghana and, and, and Tanzania. I mean, I've been to areas where there has been some real poverty. And you see some real class distinction, even in the slums of Venezuela. When I went to Haiti, it's the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. I was awestruck by uh, mothers just willing to hand their children over to me to take back to the States for a better way of life because they couldn't feed them. She, the mothers didn't have enough food so they could even lactate to feed their own child. You know, people living on dirt, trash everywhere in certain areas. And uh, there's a suffering that goes on there. You know, so often we pray to God, we ask him for things here. You know, we have first world problems. I and mean, those people are dealing with third world problems, things that we think are hardships would be blessings to them. You know, oh boy, I overate, huh? Oh, you know, I got this food. I can't believe I didn't eat it. I, I, I got to, I got to throw this food out, right? You know, it's been in the fridge too long. Or oh, I got to go to a run. I got to lose. I got to pay money to go to the gym to lose some weight. That's not the case. With a lot of these people around the world. Uh, so there are missionaries down there who are doing good work. They were kidnapped by a rogue gang. And they wanted money, and uh, they've now been released. Haiti right now. As you know, I've reported on this and shared this with you in the past, uh, is in a power vacuum. No one is in charge. Uh, not too long ago, earlier this year, the president was assassinated. So what happens when you lose legitimate authority? We see it in our own country right now, right, with liberal policies, with defunding of police. You see smashing grabs. You see crime. You see people so terrified they won't even lock their car. They roll the windows down and they take their valuables out so the, the thieves won't smash the windows, right? It's, it's ridiculous in our country. What's happening in Haiti? No president, no law. Gangs are roaming the country, kidnapping and extorting people. Uh, and it's unfortunate. They, they kidnapped 17 missionaries from an Ohio-based group. It was a Christian aid ministry. And they wanted a, a million dollars ransom for each one of them. And it's not clear right now whether or not that was paid. I don't know. Five of them had been released earlier. And a source close to the group told the Miami Herald uh, at that time that no ransom had been paid. So who knows? Maybe prayer. Prayer worked. Maybe prayer moved the heart of those kidnappers. I don't know. It's just a good story, right? Uh, they are going to be back with their home and back with their families. And praise God for that. Hey, I did not share this story with you yesterday. And I'm glad I didn't because I learned something new this morning. Um, every a couple times a year, maybe even three times a year, I share with you the uh, the story of San Januarius. All right. 
and I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this phenomenon. It's, it's bizarre. Um, this is a saint um, who died, uh, right? Uh, many, many, many years ago. He died during the Diocletian persecution. I think that was around, uh, oh gosh, uh, who else died in that? St. Philomena and others. I, I, I don't want to speak out of school. I want to go before 300, something like that, before Constantine took over, I think. Diocletian was the power. Uh, Maggie, do you know? Is it 305? Is that what you're telling me? Well, there you go. So I was right. So it's around 300, 305. Um, they had this terrible persecution of the church by, by Emperor Diocletian, and people suffered horribly at his hands. Philomena died, um, St. Januarius, uh, another one of those. And there's this, there's this cathedral in the city of Naples. And three times a year, thousands of people will go to this, right? And um, a phenomena takes place. The blood of this martyr, a millennia, almost two millennia old, right? Um, his blood and bones have been reserved. They're, they're relics. In the Catholic Church, we have quite often, we, we venerate these, these, these relics of these holy people. And a lot of miracles have often been associated with the relics that have been laid on the sick and the ill. And, and wonderful things have happened, even warding off storms and others. Well, the, this is a, a miracle that happens three times a year. The Saturday before the first Sunday of May, that, of course, commemorates the reunification of his relics. The, his feast day is on September 19th. His blood may liquefy on that day and on December 16th. So, you know, they have this beautiful mass. People come from all over. The relics are held up. And then this, this dried blood, hundreds and hundreds, you know, really centuries old, millennia old, reliquifies. And there's no scientific explanation for that at all. They have no idea. You know, did you ever see dried blood? I mean, it, it, would, it wouldn't last, uh, you know, 100 years, 200, 300, 500, 1,000. Think of what happens. Um, according to the Catholic News Agency, I heard it did not happen yesterday. And I was going to share that with you because it's a bad portent of things to come. If for some reason it does not liquefy, quite often it's followed by natural calamity or some other uh, event. There's been war that has followed. There's been things along those lines. And, and quite often it liquefies. The event, the times it has not, it has been a bad portent for the future. Well, mass was celebrated as usual that morning. Uh, the blood stayed solid. And I'm thinking, oh, that's all we need right now. You know, what's going to happen? Um, it wasn't until after a full day of people praying that St. Januarius's blood became liquid. It occurred one minute before six local time. And the only thing I could take away from that was it must be God's divine providence. Perhaps the prayer of the people recognizing what this means moved the heart of God. And as a result, maybe God in his mercy relented of whatever the chastisement, the Whatever it was going to be that was going to take place. I, do, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But I thought prayer does change things. And maybe maybe, maybe God in his mercy, maybe he relented. I, I just, you know, I just find it, I, I find it very intriguing to, to say the least. Um, again, I, I could go through some of these other instances. There, there's been many, many of those in which um, when this phenomenon does not take place, uh, Bad omens persist, but thank God, thank God for that. So I, I'm sharing a little good news because if I, if I would have reported on that yesterday, I would have been, 
I would have been off. I would have been wrong. Uh, in fact, you know, we, I had a former a friend, a former colleague of ours on the air, a guy named uh, Mike O'Neill. Uh, you might know him as the Miracle Hunter. He actually did a little documentary, a little piece on this. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Miracle before, but uh, here's a little piece of audio that might be a, a good explainer for you. The coagulated blood of St. Januarius is stored in two hermetically sealed small ampules, or vials, held in a silver reliquary. The smaller, cylindrically shaped one contains a few reddish spots, while the larger one is more than half filled with the dark red blood. According to an ancient document, something extraordinary was recorded on August 17, 1389. The coagulated blood in the vials melted. Though it may have happened previously, this is the first time it was documented. At present, the two ampules mysteriously liquefy three times a year. The first takes place on the first Saturday of May, which recalls the translation of his bones from Pozzioli to Capodimonte. The procession takes place consisting of the bust of the saint and the theca, with the ampules of the blood and silver statues of other patron saints of the city, from the Duomo to the Church of Santa Chiara. The Archbishop holds the reliquary up and tilts it side to side to show that the contents are solid. Then he places it on the high altar next to the saint's other relics. After ritual prayers by the faithful, the coagulated blood in the larger vial begins to liquefy. The Archbishop then holds up the vial and tilts it again to demonstrate the liquefaction. The relics are exposed there for eight days. The most important day takes place on September 19th, the saint's feast day and anniversary of his martyrdom, when he was decapitated in Pozzioli in the year 305. After the Mass presided by the Archbishop of Naples, the bishop holds up the vial, once again moving it side to side. A third liquefaction takes place on December 16th, the feast of the patronage of San Gennaro. It recalls a disastrous eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 1631. The lava stopped before the relics of the saint. The relics are exposed for that very day. Don't you love that? I, I, and thanks to, to Mike O'Neill for that. But um, I, the lava stopped the very entrance, the very foot uh, the relics of San Januarius. To me, these phenomena speak of the power, the intercession of the saints, the communion of the saints and how we are connected. And I would, and I often do, as we will do during the chapel, call upon the power of their intercession. They are united with God in a special way. They're still united with us. And we should call upon them for intercession and for protection. And I'm just so grateful for God for allowing us to see these types of, uh, these events, because I think they help to build and to strengthen sometimes one's weak, weak faith. So, hey, one, one final story here, and there's some big news too I want to bring you up to speed on. I got a text from somebody earlier this morning, went off at like five something. I'm like, well, who's texting me at this hour? And it was about the FDA. I'll tell you what they're doing. But first, um, are you Zoomed out, right? Are you tired of being on Zoom? I don't know whether you're still working remotely. Maybe you think Zoom is the greatest thing in the world. Maybe it has been for you, right? No longer having to drive into the office. You know, you can... You get your work done and, and, and don't have to be on the airplane doing all that traveling. I got a couple of friends who are sales guys and and they're all, they were always on an airplane. And I said to my wife, I don't know how these guys do it. I mean, they make good money, but I'm thinking, I, I don't know how they do it. It's like, 
would I want to be on an pl airplane all the time? Oh, my gosh. How exhausting is that? You know, to take a vacation, yeah, it's fun. Uh, every day, you know, getting in line, you're treated like chattel. Oh, no thanks, right? Um, so Zoom has really changed that for a lot of people. But if you've ever wondered why you're tired of Zoom calls, you know, even ones that you like want to participate in, oh, I can't wait to see so-and-so. They, there's some research that's been done on this, and I think you're going to find this really revealing. One researcher believes they found another reason why we are zoomed out or fatigued. They already, uh, you know, there's a lot of well-known reasons, right? Intense eye tag, you know, contacts, you're slightly misaligned eye contact. A lot of people look at the screen, not at the camera, so it looks like you're looking off. Uh, being on camera, people don't like, you know, limited body movement. There's a lack of nonverbal communication. There's a whole litany of things that they come out with. But Julie Boland at the University of Michigan, she believes that she has found another reason why we are Zoomed out, why we are, have Zoom fatigue. And I love this theory. Check this out. She says people brain, people's brain waves, right? You're not in sync with each other over Zoom. And you're probably saying, what? Here's how she explains it. She says, like, in a real-life conversation, if I'm with you and you're with me, we're having dinner, we're meeting, we're talking, we're whatever, you pick up on the rhythm of the other person's speech, right? And your brain wave, she says, gets synced with that and there's a natural rhythm of you just formulating this response in your mind waiting for the right moment to give your response it's verbal cues yes but she says it's also brain sync and because of the delay that happens over the internet that natural rhythm well it gets disrupted and that delay as short as it is makes what she calls a cognitive drag i think it's such a great way of putting it right so you just can't get that natural rhythm correct. Here's a little from Dr. Oz, right? And by the way, Dr. Oz is, uh, I believe he's, is he running for Senate? Yeah, he's running for Senate. I wasn't sure it was Congress or Senate. He's running for Senate. I think Oz is going to do well in the state of Pennsylvania. Bravo, Doc. Uh, here's a little bit on the reality of Zoom fatigue. It was something new to me, right? I didn't realize this, but apparently guys like Oz and others are talking about why it's so taxing on us. There's a new study from Stanford that confirms that this phenomenon of Zoom fatigue is real. It's legit. Now, one reason researchers say video calls can be exhausting is because we're literally staring at ourselves. Yes, you're looking at yourself, and it takes work, doesn't it? Now, you don't think about it, but there's an intense mirror image effect that can lead us to constantly critique our looks. Okay, it's okay, because we all do it. When we're not staring at ourselves, right, there's another thing that can drain your energy, which is intimate eye contact. It can make you feel exhausted. If you're in a room with people, your eyes will be darting all over the place, like you're supposed to. But now you're literally staring into people's eyes at a very close distance, trying to read every nonverbal cue. Now, here's what the researchers find. That's a, a very intimate location. Your personal space is supposed to be much further away. 23 inches is actually what they're recommending, which, by the way, it's hard to type at 23 inches. So what you're really saying is we can't stare at our screen closer than it's supposed to be if you're really talking to the person I found that interesting, too. Distance makes a big, big difference. You ever get uncomfortable when somebody's a close talker, right? They're right up in your face. It's kind of weird. There are people like that. Anyway, a little bit, just a little bit of uh, a little bit of science for you. If you're zoomed out, that might be the reason why. Maybe push the screen a little bit further back, a little more than those 23 inches. Hey, uh, unbelievable news. I, I, Christine, if you're listening, thanks for the text. Um, a friend of mine sent me a, a text this morning. I'm going through my phone right now to see what time it came in. Ah, it was 6.57. I was wrong. Um, she sent me a text saying, hey, do you see what the FDA did? And... Um, this is a story you need to know. Pro-lifers right now, uh, and I know you are probably a great champion of life, are hoping that they, the U.S. Supreme Court's going to overturn Roe, right? The 
Biden administration is doing all it can to get more women aborting their children. And yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration approved a request for abortion pills to be sent. Get this. Check this out through the mail. Abortion access is in the hands of the Supreme Court now, but not entirely. Today, the FDA announced that it will permanently let patients receive abortion pills by mail. Under a new rule, women will no longer have to physically go to a clinic or a medical office to get the medication. They'll be able to get a prescription after an online consultation. The FDA eased in-person requirements during the pandemic, and now this rule will disappear permanently. Of course, today's move may add more fuel to the national abortion debate and perhaps prompt legal challenges. We'll keep you posted. All right, so now a doctor can prescribe the drugs online and just mail them to the woman requesting them. I've never heard of anything like that. The problem, of course, there's no in-person examination, right? What if this girl is being abused or raped or violated or coerced or forced? What if it's not for her and someone's going to give them to someone else? You know, you see these stories all the time about guys who will order these things under fake name now and maybe put it in somebody's drink. The drugs are supposed to be used for up to 10 weeks gestation. Uh, But since the doctors won't be personally examining the woman, right, there's no way for a doctor to tell exactly how far along she is. I I, I just, there's a blindness. There is a spiritual, there's an intellectual blindness, a darkness. Anything we can to kill children. I mean, let's let's just put away common sense. You know, I don't know if you ever saw the the, the film Unplanned. It's about the conversion uh, conversion of uh, Abby Johnson. She's been a great... Friend of the show. She's an author. Uh, she was a former Planned Parenthood clinic director and today a real pro-life advocate and a mother of, I think she's eight kids. Uh, I don't even remember the scene. Uh, if you've seen that, Abby took the abortion pill. And to say that it wasn't a pretty scene, um, gosh, it's heartbreaking to say the least. I mean, it's an understatement. Uh, women who take those pills report uh, debilitating cramps, uh, heavy bleeding, and believe it or not, and I want to be very direct with you, um, some have even died. Uh, and these women have never, they're never canceled on this. I'm joined today by Christina Bennett. She's a spokesperson for Live Action. You can find them at liveaction.org, great group. And she has her own abortion story to tell. Christina, thank you for being here today. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. And I agree with everything you said. This is a very reckless, dangerous decision by the FDA. It will hurt women. Unbelievable. I just can't believe they're, they're doing that. I mean, why is the FDA, why, why do you think they're doing that right now? These drugs have been approved for use as abortion drugs for, for 21 years, but, but why now through the mail? I think it's politics, honestly. I think it's pressure um, from the Biden administration that is a pro-abortion administration. And I think the FDA is just crumbling to that pressure, and they're not considering women's health. They're not considering unborn children. They're doing it for, uh, purely for politics, and it's it's tragic. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, I, I, live action, you guys have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the fight for life in the country. What are you hearing right now about this decision? And maybe you can speak to the side effects. How are women responding to these drugs? Well, I have personally met with women who have taken the abortion pill because prior to working for Live Action, I worked at a pregnancy resource center. And I met with women one-on-one who were considering abortion and some who had had abortions and then would come to talk to us after. And I've just heard the most devastating stories. I remember one particular young woman who told me she woke up in a pool of blood on her birthday from taking the abortion pill. 
One of the most tragic stories I've ever heard was from this summer from a young black woman who took the abortion pill, and she actually lost the ability to walk, and she was hospitalized and had to relearn how to walk, and worst of all, she lost her fertility. So now she is in her early 20s, and she is no longer able to have any future children because she took the abortion pill. Her mom and her tried to sue Planned Parenthood, and it didn't go very far. But these are some of the horrific stories that we hear from, like you mentioned, Abby Johnson's portrayal in the unplanned movie. It shows what she went through. And one of the saddest things is I've heard women say, it's just a pill. I want to take the pill. It's just a pill. Because the FDA has now said we're going to release this abortion pill by mail, there's so many young women who will see that and think it's acceptable, think it's just a pill, think it's not a big deal, and they have no idea of the lasting side effects that it can bring, along with, of course, the death of their unborn child. What's being done right now? Any, anything underway to reverse this current decision? I mean, what can we do? Well, we need a miracle. We can we can pray, and uh, you can talk to your elected officials, and you can raise your voice. You can go online and and you know make noise about this, and and let your legislators know that you're not okay with this. You can follow the work that that we do at Live Action and join in with us. We are not without power, and there are some states that will be able to restrict this. There are some southern states, uh, Texas and you know Mississippi and other states, that have already passed certain legislation not allowing for abortion pills to go out through mail. So you will see that these uh, pro-abortion states, unfortunately, like my state, Connecticut, California, and other states, they will allow this to happen. But there's other states that have pro-life legislators and pro-life elected officials who can stop this from happening, at least in their particular states. Well, I'll tell you what, let me, uh, if you could, hang on a second with me. When we come back, I, I know you have a story of what happened to your mother. I think it's a powerful yes. story. I, I want people to hear that, okay? When we come back, sure. I'd love you to share that. And uh, yes. if you want to join the conversation, I only have my guest today, Christine, uh, Christina Bennett, for just a short period of time. Our number, 888 If you want to get in, share your own story, or join the conversation, you are always welcome. You know that. So feel free to pull up a chair. I'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Get caught up on this conversation and all the others by going to the Relevant Radio archives. Just search for The Drew Mariani Show. Yeah, it's a great way to get connected. And if you missed anything or you said, wow, that was an interesting stat or I love the story that guest had to share, I want to share it with somebody else, you can send them the link. You can download it. Um, you can spend time listening to the podcast. You can get our podcast anywhere podcasts are found or go to relevantradio.com and go to uh, my show page and you'll find links to all the content we have here. Maggie normally gets this broadcast up about an hour or so after we sign off the air. So just give her a little time to do that because she does double duty. She's running the board right now. Hey, if you're just joining me, I, I'm, I'm sharing a story that demands prayer and uh, and really reparation. Uh, the FDA is allowing women now to procure abortion pills by mail. The U.S. bishops, of course, the pro-life chairman there, has denounced the FDA's decision 
to do this. And today, just for some perspective, I've invited to, uh, to the program um, a wonderful guest, a woman who's got a powerful story to share. Her name is Christina Bennett. She's a spokesman for a spokesperson, I should say, for, for live action. And, and Christina, why don't you share um, your story? I, I know you have your own abortion story to tell. Yes, I'm happy to. Well, I am from the state of Connecticut, like I mentioned, a very pro-abortion state. So I grew up I'm a black woman. I grew up in a black family, uh, mostly Democrats. We didn't vote pro-life. We didn't talk about abortion at home. I grew up going to church, but we never discussed abortion in church. I'd never heard a pastor talk about abortion from the pulpit. So it really wasn't something that I was paying much attention to. And I decided to go off to college and you know start my, my uh, young adult life. And when I was in college, I was going to a church, and someone approached me with a a word from God that they felt uh, God wanted me to know that something remarkable had happened around the time of my birth. That's all they said, something remarkable around the time of your birth. So I asked my mom, and my mother and I are very close, and she said, I met an angel before you were born, and I don't want to talk to you about it which was very strange. My mother's never said anything like that before or after. Wow. But I could tell she was very serious. She said, I don't want to talk to you about it. So I I actually let it go. But I went away to, I was part of a campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I went on a summer ministry trip to Kentucky, and I worked in the inner cities. I worked in the Boys and Girls Club, and I journaled a lot. And in that summer, I just wrote in my journal, when I get back home after the summer's over, I need to really ask my mom, tell me more about that story. And so that's what I did. I cornered her. You know, She was getting ready to go somewhere, and I asked her to tell me. And she repeated, no, you would, you would hate me if I told you. I can't tell you this secret. You would hate me. And finally, I just got it out of her. And she told me that she had scheduled to abort me, that she got pregnant with me, and my father was pressuring her to have an abortion. He already had two kids from two different women at the time. And she was really alone. She was going to a church, but unfortunately, when she went to church and told her mentor that she was pregnant, her mentor said she wasn't welcome at the church. She basically said, if you come back to this church, I'll put my foot in the door and not let you in. So my mother feeling alone, rejection from my father. She made an abortion appointment at Mount Sinai Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut, 1981. She met with a counselor, but she never really got any counsel. They just told her, this is the best decision for you to make. And then she ended up meeting a janitor. It was a janitor who saved my life. It was an African-American woman who was mopping the floor who walked up to my mom because she saw her crying in the hallway and said, do you want to have your baby? And my mom said yes, and she said, God will give you the strength. And so my mother felt that woman was like an angel to her, and she said her eyes were like pools of water. And it wasn't over then. It would have been easier, perhaps, if that was it. But then the doctor called her into his office when she went to get her stuff. When she went into the doctor's office, there was blood on the floor from the last abortion. He hadn't cleaned up the blood from the last abortion, and She told him that she changed her mind. She said, I don't want to go through with this. I want to keep my baby. And he yelled at her. He said, you've already paid for this. He said, don't leave this room. And she ran out and saved my life, but decided that she was never going to tell me. So she kept that secret in her heart. She had no intention of ever telling me. She would have never told me on her own if there was not a prompting from me. And when she told me that, it changed my life. I was in my early 20s, and now I'm 40. 
and it changed my entire life. I ended up going full-time into pro-life work, and I've been doing pro-life work since, since college. What a wonderful story. Um, Thank what you. What a horrible story, but, but what, what a wonderful <laughs> yeah. testimony. I mean, it's God brings good. yes. Yeah, God brings good out of every situation, and your mother uh, was heroic for, for saying yes to life. And yes. as you said, you're very, very close to her, and it was the best decision she makes. You know, Christina, I say all the time on the air to that woman who's listening now who thinks, I, I can't do this, it's going to be an embarrassment to me or to my family, or I can't afford it, or what am I going to do, I'm all alone. Or, you know, There's all these excuses that goes through the head of a woman in this situation. And I tell them that life is a gift. It'll be your greatest blessing, not your greatest curse. And, and that if you Absolutely. say yes to it, God will provide, God will find a way, and you will be glad that you said yes to that child. Believe yes. me, there's so many people, I know so many people who have tremendous regret for the mistake that they had made. You know, time goes by quickly, True. things change, you know. I only have a moment left here. What advice would you give to that pregnant woman right now that is listening? You're not alone, and there is help and hope available for you. I would encourage you to talk to someone, a pastor, a minister, a priest, a friend, a family member that you trust. Go to a pregnancy resource center. There are thousands of pregnancy centers all across the country. They will offer you free resources, ultrasound, parenting classes, baby clothes, maternity clothes, diapers, anything that you need. They can help you. And just don't give up. Keep going because it's worth it. Amen to that. And you know what? Um, Maybe it's providential today that you're listening to this radio broadcast. Maybe God's speaking directly to you. And I, I just invite you to... To choose life. And my heart goes out to any woman who's made the mistake. God loves you. You know, his mercy yes. is unfathomable. He told Faustina, St. Faustina, no mind, be it human or angelic, will ever be able to fathom the depths of his mercy, not through all eternity. And the greater the sinner, the greater the right you have to his mercy. So I say, you know, if, if you can turn back to the Lord, ask for his forgiveness, I guarantee he'll give it to you. Hey, Christina, Amen. thank you for, for what you do. I'm grateful oh, for your you witness. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. And thanks for. All the great work that Live Action does. I know people can follow you there. The best web address at liveaction.org. Is that the best way to connect? Liveaction.org. And I'd also say check out 2363.org. It's got a very powerful video about the number of abortions that happen every day. Could you give me that again one more time? Yeah, it's 2363.org. All right. It represents the 2,363 unborn children that are killed every day from abortion. Isn't that number striking? I think about how many died in 9-11. And and if you compare those two numbers, every day we have a 9-11 in this country. And yet this is silent and nobody says a word about it. So It's horrifying. You want to get that number to zero. (laughs) Amen to that. We're going to see that. You think Supreme Court's going to roll in in, uh, favor of life? I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. And I am not just... Hoping, I'm praying too. <laughs> I'm praying for them. Yeah, just as a side note, before I let you go, what, what would that mean for this sure. FDA ruling? You know, let, let's say uh, Roe falls. Will that change the FDA's decision, or probably not? Right? I'm not sure if it'll change it nationally. I think it would probably change it for you know Mississippi and, and other states, but I don't know if it will change it nationally. But I don't know for sure because I'm not a lawyer. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Something's definitely going to change. I know for sure that if if this if they stand with Mississippi, there's going to be other southern states that are also going to follow Mississippi's lead, and we're going to see more states across the country who are banning abortion, and that's going to change our whole country. 
Amen to that. I've said it before, you know, life is going to win. Evil implodes. Evil feeds on itself. Evil never survives. Um, and, you know, right. we'll look back We'll look back on this chapter of American history of where abortion had been rampant and we're losing that many lives a day. What did you say the number was, 2363 or 26? Yeah, 2363, 2363. every single day. Yeah. And I agree with you. No lie can live forever. And so I continue to, to pray. Let the truth be known. And what we're doing right now is speaking truth out into the airwaves, and people are listening, and it's changing hearts and minds. Yeah, well, keep up your, your wonderful work. I'm really grateful for it. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. That's Christina Bennett. And check out yes. live, uh, live Action. All right? And check out that website, too, 2363. And, and uh, you know, as I said... You know, this is a horrible scourge you and I are living through. It's like living in the time of slavery in this country. And I would have done everything in my power, I say, today to have aided the abolition movement and to have worked to vanquish what was a real human uh, injustice, a human rights injustice. Today, there's another human rights injustice going on. This is invisible, you know, unless you hear stories like that of Christina Bennett and others. Uh, it, too, will end. And future generations will look back and say, how could anyone have thought that was right? You know, but we have to do our part, as she said, and I think this is so key to it. Legislation's important, education's important, action's important. All right, those things all are important. The most important is what animates all that, and that is our prayers and our sacrifices. Coming up in about 19 minutes, we'll pray the chaplet together, all right? And we'll pray for an end to that culture of death. You can join Father Rocky. He's in the middle of a novena, too, to see the end of Roe v. Wade. He prays every afternoon at 7 Central, every evening at 7 Central. You can join him for that. Hey, when I come back, St. Faustina, in 1936, recorded something in her diary. It was on this day. I was struck by it. I thought I'd share it with you because I think it's an important call uh, to all of us. So stay with me. I'll share that with you when I return. Tell one friend about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy and invite them into the loving arms of Jesus. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy begins soon on Relevant Radio. Hi, Drew Mariani here. Hey, I am traveling to the Holy Land in February with our underwriting sponsor, Nativity Pilgrimage. Information is available at relevantradio.com slash holyland. That's relevantradio.com slash holyland. The Drew Mariani Show is on Relevant Radio. Yeah, I hope you're in the season. I do love some good Christmas music. Christmas music, don't you? You know, I don't know where you're living. You could be down in somewhere warm, like Florida or Texas or in the South. I happen to hail right now from the North. It's nice to throw a few logs on the fire and watch the snow fly. All right, a little Christmas music in the background, the twinkling of the Christmas tree. It's fun. Time goes fast, though, doesn't it? Can you believe we're on the advent of another year? It's unbelievable how quickly time has flown. And look, we've made it through 2019 as the pandemic erupted. We made it through 2020 with the elections and everything else. And here we are, you know, making our way through 2021. And, um, you know, we were getting ready for 2022 with the Omicron virus and variant and a whole bunch of other stuff happening. It's, it's been pretty wild. Um, doesn't feel like we've been, I don't know, maybe it does. Maybe it feels like you've been in this fight for a long time. But I, I go back, I think some of the very first cases of COVID-19 uh, popped up like in November or December. I could be wrong on that, of, of 2019. Maybe it was March of 2020. Whatever. It's been a long time. It's kind of the bottom line, right? It, we've been here for, for quite a while. 
Um, we're going to get through it. I want you to know that it will be in the rear view a little bit later. I will fill you in on Omicron and what's happening. There's some new news coming out. Uh, I heard reports that 15,000 people a month are expected to die as a result of this. It's 70%, uh, 70 times more contagious yet, yet it's not uh, as lethal or deadly. But if you have a comorbidity, comorbidity, um, then you got to be concerned. And of course, you know, they're worried about hospitals being overrun. So, but yeah, well, we'll get into it. Coming up a little bit later, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya will be stopping by and we'll get his take. I do want to talk about something St. Faustina wrote in her diary. You know how much I love her, right? And this whole devotion to divine mercy. So I was spending a little bit of time in prayer and I came across uh, a quote from St. Faustina on this day. And listen to what she wrote. She wrote this in her diary. She says, I've offered this day for priests, you know? I've suffered more today than ever before, both interiorly and exteriorly. I didn't know it was possible to suffer so much in one day. I tried to make a holy hour in the course of which my spirit had a taste of the bitterness of the Garden of Gethsemane. I am fighting alone, supported by his arm against all the difficulties that face me like unassailable walls. But I trust in the power of his name, and I fear nothing. Uh, and that's what we have to do, right? We need to trust in the power of the name of Jesus and fear nothing. But I was struck by her call to suffer for priests. This is 1936 when she had this vision. Our, Our Lady in apparitions that would take place decades following this uh, would talk about bishop against bishop, you know, cardinal against cardinal, about the suffering of the church. And true to the prophecy that she gave to Sister Agnes Sasagawa, Our Lady, in 1973, in Akita, Japan, and I interviewed this nun. Uh, she, um, I spent time with her in her convent. Uh, you know, this was on the advent of one of the most horrible church scandals I think we've seen uh, in a very long time. That priestly sexual abuse erupted in, in the early 2000s, and of course we've seen the ripple effect of that ever since. But I have a lot of friends who are priests, you know, and I have tremendous respect for these men who have said yes to the invitation of God. And as I heard Faustina praying and suffering for them, I think these guys, today being a priest more than ever, it is a lonely and, and uh, difficult job. People look at a priest. They go out in, in public with their collar on. They're on an airplane. They're in a store. And sometimes people look at them like they're a pedophile, right? Because that's what the media says they are, right? Or they look like, you know, hey, let me grab my kid a little closer. It's terrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. Where would we be? Without our priests, huh? where would we be? What would we have? They bring to us the sacramental life of the church. I had a friend who once told me that um, Sundays are very lonely days for priests. It can be a very lonely vocation. You know, some of these uh, some of these uh, rectories used to be just bustling with priests. You had fellowship, you had fraternity, you had brotherhood. You know, different people would be cooking. You had time. There are priests I know that are in rectories all by themselves, and these are. These are giant tombs almost. They're so big. You know, it's just, I feel bad for it. And this one priest, I was hanging out with him one day. He went over to his place, great cook. And he, he, he you know, he, I thought, man, Sunday's a good day. He's out with the, the people, et cetera. He says, you know what, Drew? Sundays are the loneliest day for a priest. I said, really? Why, why is Sunday the loneliest day? You know, I, he says, well, you know, once the Mass is over, you know, people are there. They're coming to Mass. Yeah, it's great. But once the Mass is over, you go home and you spend that time by yourself. Other people go home, they spend it with their family, with their kids, they do that type of thing. Um, 
But after, after Mass on a Sunday, it can be very lonely. For many of them, they're alone in the rectories, he says. There are a few priests around. Uh, their closest priest might be 20 miles away. And because of that problem of loneliness, uh, that can be a real threat to a priest's vocation. You know, it can be deadly to a priest's vocation. And, you know, he, he disclosed to me, and I, I don't in any way want to besmirch any priest that's out there. And I don't want you to have a, an ill look at these priests. But, you know, when you're alone, um, priests are men. They're human, just like you and I. Um, there could be a proclivity to say, no, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a cocktail a little bit early today. You know, mass is over. And you can see how the habit of, you know, alcohol can form and how you can become an alcoholic or when you're alone, nobody's around, you know, opening the computer and maybe diving into something that is impure. And it can be a real temptation for priests. They're, they're not immune to this. In fact, Satan has a special enmity towards these priests. He hates them in a special way. He hates priests. He hates them. I think that's why Faustina, this is 1936, before the advent of the internet, before any of this, right? Where priests, today, I think the challenge is even greater than it was in the 1930s to be a priest. I really do. And, and my... my to all of you priests who are listening to me, God bless you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I really am. Thank you for your yes. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the small martyrdoms you go through every single day. You know, Faustina wrote that two years before her death. Uh, she was 33. And I, I was struck by the fact that she wrote that the greatest suffering came when she was praying for those priests. And I think it's because so much rides on on the ministry of our priests. I mean, they're the ones who bring us the sacraments, which, gosh, those are the privileged channels of grace that the Lord has given to us, right? Think about that. Think about the sacrament of reconciliation, how you're liberated from the bondages of sin, from those deep, deadly hooks of the soul that Satan likes to put into you. Think about receiving Jesus truly present in the Eucharist or being able to adore before him. Think about your deathbed. Think about marriage. Think about baptism. Think about the power of these sacraments. What a grace it is to be a Catholic. What a grace it is to have the sacramental life. If you're a fallen away Catholic, if you're not going to church anymore, if you had a bad experience, I invite you to come back. I really do. Check it out. You know, uh, I think you're going to find a radically different church and a radically different experience. And do yourself a favor because you're depriving yourself of, of un, untold graces. And God will embrace you. He'll love you. Trust me on that, okay? Really, I'm, I'm inviting you to come home. If you're not Catholic and you're intrigued by our faith, there, you know there's something to this, something more than maybe what you're experiencing right now, check out the faith. You know, go to a local rectory or church and say, hey, I'm, I'm not Catholic, but I'm, I'm curious. Um, we've got a program called RCIA, and uh, it'll answer a lot of the questions and, and, and really help you. So I, it's a small invitation to you, all right? So think about it. I, I think about some of these great priests, right? Priests like uh, St. Maximin and Colby, who even before he was arrested by the Nazis and he was sent to one of the most horrific death camps, you know, it was Auschwitz. And I, again, I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I will say this again, every citizen of the planet Earth should make a pilgrimage, uh, not just to the Holy Land, but to those death camps, just to see what real evil can do. Uh, Colby went there. He was doing heroic work evangelizing. He was not just in Poland, he was in Japan. He, he had an unbelievable mission uh, of evangelization. Uh, but with the supreme gift of offering his life for another man who was a complete stranger, it set him apart. And you know the stories in these concentration camps. And if somebody tries to escape a concentration camp, the commandant will line up 10 other people and they'll all be put to death 
So if you escape, you know that your freedom was paid for by the deaths of 10 other individuals. So one man who had a family was lined up in that group of 10, a man tried to escape, and they ran up these 10. And he begged this commandant for freedom. Please don't, I got a wife, I got a child, please, please don't kill me. And Colby, who was not selected, went up and asked to take that man's place, and he ultimately died in a starvation bunker. He was the last to die. Most I was in the starvation bunker. I prayed outside the, the cell that Colby was confined in. And they often say normally in these those bunkers come hateful, you know, just seething words towards the guards and towards the Nazis from the people behind those walls, but not, not in Colby's bunker, not where those 10 people were. They sung hymns. Colby was there. All 10 died. In the end, Colby was put to death with a lethal injection of carbolic acid. And uh, he laid his life down for, for someone else. A, a heroic man, a heroic priest. A heroic martyr. You know, you take a look at these other priests. Speaking of another priest in war, I'm sure you're familiar with Father Vincent Capadano. He's known as the Grunt Padre, and he'd been a wonderful servant. He's named servant of God right now. His cause is underway, so call upon his intercession. He became a military chaplain during Vietnam, uh, during the war there, and was assigned with the Marines. And he was like a Marine. He ate, he slept, he lived, he, you know, with, with his grunts, you know, earning him the nickname the Grunt Padre. And, and Father Capadano would, would say mass. Uh, he'd hear confessions constantly. And think about that. In war, gosh, to have a priest next to you like that, unbelievable. And he actually would expose himself to help the wounded and give last rites. He'd run into fire to, to, to get these men. Um, he requested to have his tour extended. And the church actually extended it. They accepted his offer. That exposure, though, would eventually kill him. Uh, on September 4th in the year 1967, um, Father Capadano stayed in Nam, was killed while supporting a hospital corpsman when the company came uh, under, under enemy attack. And um, as a result of it, Father Capadano received three Purple Hearts, and he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor in 1969. But he was declared a servant of God just a couple years ago, 2006. That's the first step in, in sainthood. Here's a man not only willing to give his life to God, but to lay it down like Colby for his brother. You can see why Faustina prayed for these men, right? Well, one final story. I'll share one last one with you. If you want to join me, you can always dial in. It's 888 But I want you to pray for your priests. I do. I, I, today, especially, I'm offering the chaplet for all priests, especially those priests right now that are having a crisis in their vocation, who are thinking about leaving, who are struggling with alcohol or pornography or some other addiction. There was another priest, I, uh, I often share his story. I love the story of Father Thomas Biles, who was on a very faithful first and only voyage of a major cruise liner. You know the name. It was the Titanic. And he was on his way, uh, you know, to, he was on, I guess he was on the New York to offer mass for the wedding of his brother, William. And at the time, the ship hit the iceberg, and he was praying the office um, and, and twice he was offered a chance to get a lifeboat. He's a priest. People, Father, here, we got a room for you. Father, come on. Instead, he gave up the, the seats so that others could live. And instead, what did he do as that ship was about to be submerged into those icy, cold, dark waters? He heard the confessions of those who were about to draw their last breath, who are about to meet their maker, stand face to face with God, granting absolution, consoling people, leading the passengers and praying the power of the rosary. And the story goes that the ship went down and they say that he stood on the deck like Colby and so many others praying. He prayed not just with Catholics, 
but he prayed with Jews. He prayed with Protestants. They knelt down around him. These heroic priests are, are just a small example of, of the gift that we have in our parish priests, you know, the priests that you and I know. You know, and, and I invite you today to pray for them. Really, pray for them as St. Faustina did. She suffered much for them. I'd ask you to make a sacrifice, if you could, for your priest. Maybe reach out to him, too. That's something else that one priest once said to me. It's lonely. Invite him out to dinner. Invite him to the house. You know, give him your keys to your cabin or your mountain place or whatever it is, you know. Uh, remember our priest who sacrificed so much for all of us. And look, there's many modern-day stories, too. I don't have time to share because I've got to take a quick break here. But... Um, so many, so many wonderful, wonderful priests, and uh, we need them. You know, it's from their holy hands that we have those beautiful sacraments. If you want to join me, we're going to pray for our priests now. You can get in. Here's the number. You might be new to the show. You might have only been listening for a short while. Every day this time, I pray that powerful prayer that was given to St. Faustina, the chaplet of divine mercy. Actually, it wasn't just given to her. The Lord said it was given to all of us. It was meant for the world. Let's pray it, all right? It's powerful. It moves the heart of God. You can get in at 888-914-9149. When we come back, we'll pray uh, together. Stay with me. 